What Goes On Media, this is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. So, we've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back. There's been plenty going on behind the scenes, of course. For example, did we mention we've a book coming out? Yeah, it's proper pinch-me stuff. Well, we collated some of our favourite stories from the first season, and thanks to Jessica Kingsley Publishers, it's now an actual book. As well as reading some real accounts from people across the LGBT plus spectrum, you can read tips on coming out from icons of the community, like Peter Tatchell, Lady Phil, Davina DeCampo, and Joe Lysett, to name but a few. It's not out till January 21st, 2021, but you can pre-order from ukbookshop.org or wherever you buy your books from. Just search for Coming Out Stories. We are beyond excited. We've also been busy recording loads of heartwarming, heart-wrenching and inspiring stories that we can't wait to share with you. One of the only good things about bloody Covid is that everything is done remotely now, which means I've been able to cast the net a bit wider and chat to people across the globe. Take our first story, for example. I sat in my dad's study in Wales and chatted to Donya, an LGBT rights activist from Barbados who happened to be in a garden in Tanzania. Listen carefully and you can even hear a few birds and then the cicadas kick in in the background. This is one of my favourite bits when she told me that she entered a beauty pageant at the age of 17 because she thought she should be more feminine. I was on a football team, I was on a basketball team and I was like, oh, this is not what God wants for me. So I uh, entered a pageant, but, but funny enough, the pageant put me around a lot more women. And then I started to realise, okay, as much as I want to be feminine because God wants me to be a nice feminine Christian lady, I'm around all these women. I'm like, this is tempting. Brilliant. So sit back and enjoy season two of Coming Out Stories. We're starting with Donya, who's an incredible woman. In her early 20s, she co-founded Be Glad. That stands for Barbados, Gays and Lesbians and All Sexuals Against Discrimination. In 2015, she was recognised for her work and had a trip to Buckingham Palace, no less, where she was presented with a Young Leader Award by the Queen. Here is her story. I'm queer. Yeah, I'm, yeah, let's leave it there. But that's interesting yeah. to me because yeah. why choose that particular word? Because I know people and some people in England who go, oh, I hate that word. I find it really offensive, you know? I know, I know a lot of people do. But for me, queer uh, encapsulates so much of me that it's somewhat hard to define. So when you were growing up in um, Barbados, at what stage do you remember sort of questioning your own identity or thinking that you might be different to your other uh, pals in Barbados? It's so funny. I had this conversation yesterday. I'm uh, so, uh, <laughs> um, just yesterday and it brought back so many, so many memories. So I was around 12 years old and I had a best friend that I was completely enamored with, but I didn't think it was anything uh, sexual or it had anything to do with my sexuality. It was just a, a girl who I'd write poetry for, and it's quite gay. And that um, I'd like buy all these thoughtful gifts, and I was just so enamored by her. And uh, I think somebody asked her one time if I was bisexual. And I was just 13 years old, and she said to me, she was like, somebody asked me that, and I thought about it, and I wondered, I, I align bisexuality with you for some reason, and not sure why. And I started to think about it myself, and it was finally something that I put a label on the feelings that I felt. So I wondered, and I started to think of myself, like, is that, is that what this is? 
you know is that how I feel about women and I started to question it some more and then later on that year maybe the year after there was this wildly popular soca star in the Caribbean called Destra right and Destra was this beautiful woman and I remember she put Destra putting out a video it was a music video and I watched this video so many times Emma and (laughs) on repeat (laughs) yeah on repeat and I loved it and I loved it and I realized that I had a crush on Destra and then and, and at that time I just decided I thought to myself, this is how I feel about some women. Then I thought to myself, yeah, I think that's, that defines me. I am attracted to women. And so it evolved from there. And I started to accept myself as bisexual at that time because I thought, like, obviously I am attracted to men because that's what I'm supposed to be, you know. So yeah. anything else is, a, is, is an, an addition. What's quite interesting about that is actually that the person said to you, are you bisexual? Most people sort of, you know, bisexual people are sort of invisible to them. And most people get asked yeah. at school, are you gay? You know. Yeah. As though that's the only option, really. So it right. sounds like whoever asked you was quite, you know, had thought about it quite a bit and was quite educated in LGBT issues, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think. And at that point in time, LGBT issues were not something that we were point of conversation mm. in Barbados, or at least in my circle. I was 12, 13. What decade are we talking here? You don't need to tell me your age, but it's, it's nice just to date things and place them. I'm, I'm 30 years old. So this would have been, what, the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, no, 2003. I was born in 1990, so 13, it was 2003. The noughties. Okay, so what was it like being queer in the noughties in Barbados? Uh, um, I was at school, so I think I was protected by my school environment, which wasn't very hostile at all. I never really got a lot of pushback in my school. I went to a prestigious secondary school that, you know, no one really gave me any pushback at that at school. but. I think at home now, or I was struggling with my, uh, with my spirituality because we grew up in a Christian home and stuff like that. Mm. So I was struggling with reconciling what I now, what I now identified as a, as a, as a bisexual lesbian. I was trying to define that for myself, but I knew whatever it was, I was not straight. And I was trying to reconcile my relationship with God at that time with my identity that was a difficult part for me and I was doing a lot of exploring of that so were you going to church because I know a lot of people in Barbados you know going to church is a big deal isn't it it's a big thing yeah I was going to church I was going to church and it was difficult for me I felt like I needed to pull back from that and I entered a pageant I entered a yeah at 17 now fast forward a little I, I I made up with a girl and all that and I entered a pageant so that I could become more feminine, you know, and I felt like God would want me to be a really, really feminine girl. And I was on a football team. I was on a basketball team. And I was like, oh, this is not what God wants for me. So, <laughs> so I uh, entered a pageant. Subsequently, I won the pageant. <laughs> you won it. Oh, well, hang on. Let's, let's revisit this. How did that feel? <laughs> you won, hang on, what's this, like a beauty pageant? You won yeah, it? Yeah, because I was, the school was so prestigious. It was called Queen's College, the prestigious. It was formerly a girls' school, and then it became co-ed you know, opened by the Queen of England. It's all of that kind of stuff. So mm. in Barbados, that was a big deal. And to win uh, Miss Queen's College pageant at 17 was a big deal. And my parents were quite happy. You still put that on your CV? No, I don't anymore. <laughs> I think I would. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so at this stage, then, when you're winning the pageant, are you still in denial? You're not doing anything about yourself? I was still in denial. But, but funny enough, the pageant put me around a lot more women. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic 
and then I started to realize, okay, as much as I want to be feminine because God wants me to be a nice feminine Christian lady, I'm around all these women. I'm like, this is tempting. <laughs> I didn't think about this before I entered. And in the pageant business, I, I found a girl that I was really attracted to and she kind of became my girlfriend. <laughs> so that didn't really work out in terms of what I had aimed to do. Yeah, so I had a girlfriend then and then that didn't work out very well. I can't remember why it ended this way, but she called my father at 17 years old and she told my dad that I was, that I was bisexual. She said she did it out of malice. So in terms of coming out, I didn't really come out. I got outed. And your dad had no idea? No. No, he told my mom. And he, they, didn't, they, had, they didn't have a clue. And um, my so, mother was livid. So did she tell you she was going to do it? Or did you just find out from your parents? I, just, I think somebody told me that she told him. And then I found out that he told him. And then my mother confronted me about it. And it was just not a good thing at all. I bet you can probably remember exactly where you are and how that conversation went when your mother confronted you, right? Oh, my God. I'm like, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was summer, or yeah, it was going into summer, and I remember her telling me that I was banned from everything. I couldn't go out. I was all of these horrible things, and I think it's still triggering. Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah. First encounter I had with homophobia um, was my mother. Like real encounter with like the the darkness of it and how people can be so awful to you was my mother. I mean, thankfully our relationship is beautiful now, but initially it was just horrible she said a lot of um homophobic like slurs she called me a bunch of names and she was just so upset i think it was about her hopes for me just almost being dashed because obviously after that this was after i won the pageant and you know you know it was a prestigious school was doing fairly well in school and all this kind of stuff and now she heard this it was like like a complete fall (laughs) for her she was like very strict um she always wanted like like any mother wanted the best for me but this is something she didn't understand at all do you know i think you're one of the first people i've ever spoken to who's been outed by someone else in in an act of malice to their parents and you know that must have been so hard for you because you know out of hundreds of people i've spoken to you know it's so pivotal coming out to your parents and it's something that everybody thinks about a lot they think very carefully about how they're going to do it they think very carefully about what words they're going to use and you were sort of robbed from that so you were already on the back foot because you were being confronted by it that must have been so bloody awful yeah it was awful it was awful i was scared it's not a good summer at all you've got even extra reason to hate that ex-girlfriend haven't you really that's that's (laughs) We are right now. I mean, we yeah. that was a while ago. Like, I'm not her friend or anything, but if I see her, I'm like, But people don't know what they're messing with, do they? I mean, you know, people can become homeless. So all sorts of things can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was my story, too. Yeah, so coming out is a real process. I don't think it's any one time, you know, because coming out to my parents is one thing, and then coming out to friends. Actually, I have a friend. Oh, funny enough, the same friend that I was in love with at first. <laughs> um, she, you know, tried to, I don't know, like strong arm me into leaving this quote unquote lifestyle. I mean, a lot of people have come around. So it, I feel a little regret like recalling this because these, a lot of these mm. people have full circle, are like my biggest supporters and are beautiful. So I, that's why I don't believe so much in call it culture, um, cancel culture. No, absolutely. And I think this is part of the point of the podcast, really, just to show people that it does get better. And even if you get that horrible reaction on day one, you know, look at what can change in even a week. Sometimes people's parents come around. Sometimes it might take 
a few months or even in some cases years, but it happens, doesn't it? There is people change. Absolutely. My partner, she's from Kenya and like coming out to her parents. I mean, she had a, a very, very difficult time at first, but within a matter of two weeks, her parents are just so supportive. It's just so interesting to see, you know, the different dynamics and how it plays out. And she's from Kenya. And actually, we're doing this on Zoom, aren't we? Thanks to um, yeah. COVID, we can do all these things remotely. It doesn't matter <laughs> about meeting yeah. up. And you're speaking to me from Africa. So tell me where you are and what, what it's been like in terms of um, being LGBT there. Oh, uh, well, I'm in Tanzania. My first time to the continent. So far, quite honestly, it's been like beautiful and brilliant. Mm. I, <laughs> I mean, obviously coming into um, the continent, there are a lot of like preconceived ideas of what I might experience. Mm. And I, I come with all of that too. But the truth is when I've met people, they've been nothing but kind to me. I was telling you earlier, like my first real outing where I went to a restaurant just last night and I'm gender non-conforming. So you look at me, you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so like we were going to the restaurant and then we were about to go and then we left to get, we left to get our jackets and people were like, oh no, come back. And we just went to get our jackets. We came right back and they began to cheer. This is a, this is a table of about seven people <laughs> cheering. I was come back. Yeah, and we ended up talking to them like late into the uh, afternoon, and uh, we exchanged numbers. We were open about our relationship, and it was so beautiful. And they didn't give a shit. No, oh. they wouldn't exactly be um, sport for choice with gay clubs there, though. I guess who would you really? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, mm. I don't think so. I, I'm trying to find that uh, community here. Mm. I haven't been here that long, and then it's really difficult to even do that with with COVID and all of that too. So that's one thing. But then what's um, the gay scene like in Barbados? I mean, it sounds like you didn't have too much of a hard time at school or, or, or with your peers. No, no, I think, it, I think it has to do with the environment. Like I said, I was at a school that we focused a lot on academics. We had a uniform, so it wasn't like uh, I had a lot of room to express myself in terms of what, how I wear and what I dress, how I dress. No, I don't think I had a really hard time at school. I think I was just always quite bold, Emma. Mm. I was really bold. And because I kind of walk through the world fairly bold, people then have no choice to like, because I'm just out as fuck most of the time. I think as an activist, I got a lot more issues coming after me because of my activism mm. and my being completely visible and advocating for LGBT issues. So there's one thing to be a queer person and you can surround yourself by other people who are supportive, but there's another thing to be a public advocate in an island and in a region and to be so well known and your sexuality so well known as well. So a lot of my challenges came came because of that whether that was walking through a busy town as a young 23 year old now trying to like like gender bend and dress the way I feel more comfortable I would have like stares or people might say stuff but also because a lot of people knew my face in the small island that is Barbados and knew what I was doing one time in particular that was very very frightening and there was a guy who like he said he wanted to kill me. I was just going on and on and on for about eight minutes. I remember like even having time to record all of the horrible things that he was saying to me. Yeah, essentially he just said he wanted to do all these horrible things to me because of 
what I'm trying to promote and I deserve all of these bad things. And it was a really, really hard thing, very, very terrifying. And did you feel confident to report that to the police or do you think they wouldn't take that that seriously in Barbados? I think I was dealing with the trauma of it. I didn't think I should report it. It was just a traumatic experience that I just locked down. So just go through what sort of things you were campaigning for and what it's like to be gay in Barbados then. Because it's kind of um, sort of left from the colonial era, isn't it? The laws and things on the statutes. Well, uh, I always say there's no one way to be to experience life as an LGBT person in Barbados or anywhere mm-hmm. for that matter. And I think we should really stay far away from the, the narratives that say, oh, in Barbados or in Jamaica, people hate gays there and you're never going to have a great experience. I think that that language is very, very, very harmful. You hear it a lot, mm-hmm. too, because it depends on where you live it depends on how you how you present who you are if you are a trans woman for example versus a gay white cis male you know you're gonna have completely different experiences and you're all a part of the lgbtq community so i don't think there's any one way to say you know to say that and depends on your level of education and where you grew up and you know where you work and how much money you make you know and obviously uh, one determining factor for discrimination and issues across the border is poverty so if you're a poor woman, you're good, regardless if you're gay or not, or bisexual, or, you know, it, if you're a poor woman, you're going to have a harder time than somebody who has that privilege. And, and Barbados has a, um, a very um, large middle class. We're quite, like, educated people. And, but at the same time, somebody who lives in a, a poor area in Barbados is going to have a hard time. There's certainly, you know, from having been there, I know there's, I mean, there aren't gay clubs, obviously, but there are... Um, like underground gay parties aren't there oh, yeah. in the LGBT oh, yeah. scene yeah. yeah there's a lot of there's yeah. a community there yeah yeah, yeah. definitely definitely there's like parties and so on people have a good time and, but I'd always say that it's really difficult for trans women women of colour anywhere in the world really mm. especially um, places that have a high level of machismo or like where there's you know a level of toxic masculinity that always poses a threat to anything that deviates from what masculinity is. Absolutely. I mean, if you just look at the levels of violence against black trans women worldwide, it is horrifying, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely horrifying. So what was it like coming up to then, you said you came out eventually of your own accord to some friends. Can you remember the first time you actually uttered the words, I'm bisexual or I'm queer or however you chose to phrase it at the time? Um... The thing is, I haven't really uh, thought about like that as very significant because it has been like you come out to various people. I remember one friend in particular who I came out to. Um, she was so 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 supportive, and she hugged me. I think we were graduating around that time. I was sixteen, seventeen, and I think she already knew. And there were people that felt like um, like another friend who felt like she couldn't be my friend. <laughs> you know, okay. yeah, and she's a really really good person to me now and that wasn't very kind at that time but I think one of the most significant outings when I when I really came out was when I came out as an advocate it came out it was a newspaper article <laughs> and while my parents kind of knew you know mm. and people were like hmm I'm not sure starting the, the organization that I did in Barbados was like the biggest coming out because it was uh, it was a Sunday newspaper. Everybody reads Sunday newspaper. It was a two-page spread in the Sunday newspaper, Emma. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my. You god. don't do things by halves, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yo. 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 It was wild. It was wild. And I remember that day, my mother. That afternoon, say around three o'clock. Let's say my mother called me, and she was livid. She was so mad. She was mad. She was sad. She wanted to leave the country. I was embarrassment. <laughs> it was horrible. It was just really, really bad. I'm guessing when you did so well with your activism um, and won awards and then ended up going to England to London to meet the Queen because you got an award, she probably was quite proud of you by that stage. Yeah, she was like, can I come? <laughs> is, this is, this, is this the same mother? <laughs> yeah. She was like, can, I, can you ask them to take your mother? <laughs> it's so funny thinking about it now. <laughs> and then talk about a turnaround, yeah, from your mother know, telling you your embarrassment to then like, can I come and meet the Queen as well? <laughs> yeah, that was wild. That was wild. I mean, we had a rocky relationship even after that. I think it was, it's cultural and it's her not understanding. Yeah, but I think what also happened is that she had a friend whose son was, was gay and I think he told her about it and she was able to confide in another friend of hers. Yeah, and they talked, she told me that they talked about it a lot. Sounds like for you that actually coming out was a very political act because you wanted oh, to get involved in your activism and for you it was very important to be a public figure, not just out in your hometown or with your family, but actually be out nationally and be really active. Yeah, I always felt like visibility is power and visibility allows people to get a glimpse into something that there are so many myths and stereotypes around. You know, oftentimes when people say, oh, I'm not homophobic, I'm not this, I have a cousin who is queer, I have yeah. my sister is gay. They always use these examples, and I think people use these examples because it's like, no, I, there's somebody who's queer that I love. You know, or somebody who's queer. That doesn't mean that they can't be homophobic. Oh, it's the same when people go, oh, yes, I've got friends who are black people. I can't be racist. Well, really? Can you? (laughs) Exactly. Could be. You could be, but it wouldn't mean that you have some level of exposure, which is pretty valid. So what we did with Be Glad is we tried to do a lot of education through like public advocacy, whether that's uh, talking in churches and just answering people's dumb questions sometimes oh yeah go on what's the dumbest Donna? Go on. <laughs> oh man what's the dumbest question oh man there's so many it wasn't dumb but it was one that i felt was like appalling and really insulting i was trying to explain to a man once that the love that i have for my partner is just as valid as the love that he has for his wife and he was like it could never be he was like this could never be and i was trying to actually like i was like what why i i i I love her, like, you know, how you would love your wife. It's just, like, it's love. You've experienced it. He's like, no, no, no. And I'll never forget, like, trying to convince somebody that. And that was a very, very, like, kind of awkward. That's because I think people with no understanding or education sometimes think it's all about sex. Yeah. And it's and it's all about a choice. It's all about like like anyone would choose it. It's I, I don't get how that's got confused in people's minds, but it seems to have. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Hard. So, yeah, so it sounds like your family have all come round and are very proud of you and life's going quite well, really. I, yeah, for the most part. I mean, they're still in family circles. I don't really talk about it still. So I kind of question how, how I am really because everybody knows I'm gay, but we don't talk about. I think my mother is perhaps that one person who, like, wants to know who my partner is. And, like, you know, but everyone, like, in my family, it's, like, it's not something that we talk about. 
which I still question how out am I? There's some parts of me that I still don't share very freely as if I were um, heterosexual, you know? Mm. But say you were to get married one day, I'm sure they'd all turn up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. If I were to get, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to do that. Are you? Yeah. Oh, is, is there news? Is there news? Uh, we can see, we can see. Hopefully she says yes. I think she will. I think she will, Emma. <laughs> Oh, are we going to have a live proposal on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> She's there with you, isn't she? <laughs> do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I got, I got to get, I got to get me out so I could get, get all the necessary equipment. You know, you don't want to do it just in the middle of a podcast interview. Oh no, no you do actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do something real cool and grand. I don't know yet. Something creative, you know. Oh, okay. So you're building up to it. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good to hear. And especially yeah. for your partner. I hope that's not news to her. She suddenly found out by sitting in on this interview. <laughs> we'll discuss it later. <laughs> we'll discuss surprise, it later. Surprise. <laughs> that would have been great if you'd done a proper proposal in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> oh. And if you do it, I need an update, though, from you, please. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so tell us just a little bit about what you're doing there with your um, company, because you're, you, you're on something weird called a workcation. A workcation, a workcation. Yeah. So, you know, Pink Coconuts, the plan with Pink Coconuts is to connect LGBT travelers with friendly accommodation and, like, experiences in tropical destinations. Because I find, you know, oh. tropical destinations people often have these perceptions of them that you can't exist at all as queer people. But the truth is, wherever you go, there's always a little nestle where Mm. you can find people who will be accepting of you and be welcoming and you can have a great time. And our aim at Pink Coconuts is to find them and to share them with you. That's really good to hear because I don't think that I'd automatically go, oh, as a gay person, I'm going to go to Africa. You know, you might think of the stereotypical places like, oh, yeah, I'll go to Gran Canaria or I'll go to San Francisco. But you don't think Africa, do you? Exactly, exactly. Or you won't think the Caribbean or, you know. But there are those places and those people who are welcoming and we're hoping that, you know, people can travel and support your local community while doing it. So that's what it's about. And in light of COVID, you know, there are a lot of people who are working from home. So what we've done is combined uh, finding these places and these communities that you can find as a queer person, but you can also work from. So it's a vacation with work, a workation. We're hoping to like pull this together and for people to do it like in perhaps three months, four months, you could just move over to, you know, Barbados or, or, or Kenya and you just work there and meet community and have a good time. Yeah, well, did you see in July this year, your um, your leader said, come to Barbados and work from, from home in Barbados. And he was going to, yeah. like, they were going to change a lot of the laws, weren't they, to allow more people to work from home from Barbados and move there yeah. from the UK or wherever. Bring it on. I know, right? And funny <laughs> enough, just about last week, I know it hasn't been big, big news, but Barbados um, implemented like uh, legislation protecting uh, people on the basis of sexual orientation, gender, and sex from de- from um, discrimination within the workplace across the island, which is a big deal because it's something that it's not a big fight, a court case that we won. It was an initiative of the government of Barbados to protect LGBT people. Fantastic, and that's probably a bit of a legacy from what to, from what you started back in the day. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we've worked really hard for that, you know, and it's just so wonderful that it didn't come from us hiring a bunch of 
lawyers and having to fight the court system, but the government saw it as necessary. Well, before you go, I always ask people if they've got any advice to other people that hadn't done it, that hadn't come out of the closet uh, or hadn't, you know, fully accepted themselves yet even. Mm, I think coming out is a process. People should always be safe in doing that. So I think it's important to assess your support system, you know, assess or do you have a bunch of best friends who are going to support you, you know, if things go completely south? Do you have um, an uncle or aunt that you can confide in? And I think you start there, start with your support system. And then when you're ready to, to, to come out to the people who you might not be sure about, that you want to be completely um, vulnerable and open with, uh, you share it with the people who are going to protect you and support you first. And then they give you the, they give you the strength and the support to do that. And if things goes to, go to shit, you already have these people. It's, it's always important to do that. And I think we've learned a valuable lesson from yourself as well. Never out somebody else. It is not no. your fucking business. No. Yes. Yes. I would love to call her name, but I'm not going to do that. But yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> do not do it. Uh, it's fantastic to t- talk to you, Donnie. If people want to find out more about Pink Coconuts, where can, where can they go? Instagram. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Instagram at Travel Pink Coconuts. Uh, you can find us on travelpinkcoconuts.com and our socials are there, travelpinkcoconuts.com. You'll find our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram. And we're going to get some TikTok so that we can show you some cool, these cool places like, across like Africa and Barbados so that you could just know what you're getting yourself into. Ah, well, I can only I can only see a very small portion of Tanzania behind you, but there's some oh, lovely, you lovely flowers going on. Oh, is it sunset there now? Yeah. And I can hear the cicadas. It's gorgeous. Oh, well, you sold it to me. Thank you. Kenya is just as gorgeous. Barbados is just as gorgeous. Yeah. There you go, the wonderful Donya. It was so good to talk to her, not least because in the background of the Zoom call, I got to watch the sun set in Tanzania. Incredible. I'm a little bit gutted, though, that we didn't quite have the first mid-podcast marriage proposal. There's still time. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also really appreciate it if you find the time to leave us a rating or a review. To find out more about coming out stories, you can ask us a question or you could even offer yourself up for an interview. You can follow us on Twitter at Come Out Stories or at Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Emma Goswell and Coming Out Stories is edited by Sam Walker and it's a What Goes On Media production. In the next episode, we're going to Taiwan. Well, not literally, but I spoke to my friend Tim, who said he actually left his birth country to start a new life in America in the 80s because he was gay. I always doubt that something must be wrong with me, you know. So, And that's why I always say the only way for me to get out of the country is uh, to learn English properly and study well. And uh, one day I will go to the West, to America or to Europe. We read the magazines or from the news. Uh, we know uh, being gay in America probably is uh, much, much easier than in Taiwan.